Hello and welcome to edition number 1,888 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 4th of November at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. Tonight we have a full house of four readers for the first time since COVID struck in March 2020. And they are Alison Granger, Dorothy Allen, Byron Russell and John Ashwell. Our recording engineer this week is Gavin Smalley and as usual we have taken items mainly from the Whitney Gazette plus a sprinkling of items from the Chipping Norton News. And we'll be, we will begin with the Gazette's lead story this week, read by Alison and Byron, about efforts to end restrictions on activity in Whitney High Street, which some traders say are killing their businesses. Yes, our headline is Half Our Trade Has Vanished. Worried traders who say the closure of Whitney High Street is having a devastating effect on their businesses have launched a petition against it. Of 37 shops that have signed, 36 oppose the measures to restrict the high street to buses, cycles, taxis and disabled badge holders only. Market stallholder Darren Smith, who sells fruit and vegetables, said, It totally halved my previous trade. It happened as soon as they did it. All the traders feel the same. It's what people come here for, shopping. 100% it needs to go. We're making it work, but when people are carrying heavy bags of potatoes or carrots, they want to be able to pull up nearby and park. He said none of the other towns he visits have kept the road restrictions brought in to help with social distancing during the coronavirus pandemic. Deborah Warner, manager of Sandwich to Whitney, said, I've been here nearly 20 years and it's dead, quite eerie. People used to come and get a coffee before work. It's such a shame, the heart's gone out of the town. Henry Moe, the owner of Sandwich to Whitney, started the petition. He said, It's 36 out of 37 Whitney shops and growing, plus hundreds of shoppers signed in just a few days, opposing Whitney High Street's closure being made permanent. A public survey launched in June showed that the restrictions were supported by the majority of town residents who responded. From a total of 1,346 comments, 60%, representing 808 people, felt safer with the restrictions, and 26%, 351 people, did not. Approximately 30 responses came from organisations or businesses, Of these 11, none of them in the restricted part of the high street were in favour of the measures being retained. A further 10 businesses, eight on the restricted section, were opposed and saw them as a hindrance to their trade. Richard Martin, director of the Whitney Blanket Hall, said that traders have felt compelled to raise a petition about the high street signals a failure of both communication and joint intent. WODC town council and traders must re-establish their partnership as proud and enthusiastic champions of our high street, or everyone will lose. He added, Once upon a time, everyone seemed to understand that towns need bustle. It's what makes a town a town. 
and overzealous town management, however well-intentioned, is likely to damage it. At the Blanket Hall, we believe that WODC should at once fully reopen the road and then enter into negotiation with Oxfordshire County Council to keep it open. People say they like tables and chairs outside bars and restaurants. We say that there's plenty of room for them, even with traffic on the road. Susie Cowell, the WODC Cabinet Minister for Finance, said, This would still be a temporary arrangement, and we would look to work with the County Council, local businesses and residents over the coming months to develop a much more comprehensive strategy for improving Whitney Town Centre and a more permanent solution to improving pedestrian space in the High Street. We do recognise some of the concerns highlighted, particularly those raised by businesses, and we would want to work closely with them and others to consider those views as we look at a longer-term solution. And WODC leader Michelle Mead added, We have to consider the rising COVID-19 case rates nationally and in Oxfordshire, and the continued safety of our residents the additional space provides. Residents were clear with us in their response to our survey, with 64% of respondents saying that they feel the limits to traffic in the high street should stay in place. She said businesses had gone through a very challenging period with the pandemic and online competition, but she wanted a longer-term solution to improve the street. And next is Dorothy with a story about the controversial Jeremy Clarkson and his plans for a restaurant at his farm. The headline is Clarkson's Cafe Plans Hit Local Opposition. Jeremy Clarkson's bid to open a 60-seat cafe-slash-restaurant and 70-space car park at Diddley Squat Farm attracted 28 objections from nearby residents concerned about its impact on the Chadlington area. Now, a response to the planning application from consultee ERS Pollution says the proposed site is a disused quarry and maybe too toxic to build on. It says a review of records indicates land to the northwest of the site has been used as a quarry and may contain filled ground. It adds, no development should take place until a desk study and if required a site investigation of the nature and extent of contamination has been carried out in accordance with a methodology which has previously been submitted to and approved in writing by the local planning authority. The results of the site investigation shall be made available to the local planning authority before any development begins. The report adds, If any significant contamination is found during the site investigation, a report specifying the measures to be taken to remediate the site to render it suitable for the development shall be submitted to and approved in writing by the local planning authority before any development begins. In the application to West Oxfordshire District Council, the STARS team say Diddley Squat is facing an acute reduction in the basic payment scheme, a government subsidy which is being phased out. It says payments will drop from £83,298 to zero by 228. 
It is reasonable for a farm business to investigate ways to replace this income with on-farm diversification to create new income streams or expand existing enterprises, it says. The subsidies accounted for over 85% of the business's profit this year, it reveals. And finally, in this first round of stories, we'll hear from John with a related story concerning the unlikely star of Amazon Prime's television series, Clarkson's Farm. That's right. It's headed up Caleb at college. Caleb Cooper, the unexpected star of Clarkson's Farm, has shared some of his knowledge with college students during a visit. He paid a trip to Banbury and Bicester College to officially open uh, its expanded Rare Breeds outdoor farming area. Rare breeds at the college include Pilgrim geese, Golden Guernsey goats and North Ronaldsay sheep. Caleb said, It's been great to come down to the college and meet with the students and talk to them about farming and looking after animals. I've been really impressed by everything I've seen at the college, with students getting some fantastic experiences working with a wide range of rare breeds. I'm passionate about farming and agriculture, and it's brilliant to see young people so passionate about this and hear about all their experiences and be able to give them some pointers and advice. Caleb shot to prominence after appearing on Amazon Prime on the Amazon Prime series Clarkson's Farm. The show documents the trials and tribulations of former Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson and his foray into agriculture. Overruled Woodland Homes project on brink of approval. Plans for 37 homes on the edge of ancient woodland, which were previously quashed by the High Court, are now on the brink of final approval. A judge revoked planning consent for the development at Rushy Bank, just outside Charlbury, in July 2017. West Oxfordshire District Council approved the development in November 2015, However, the decision was successfully challenged by conservationists following strong resistance. A High Court judge ruled that the planning permission should be quashed and the council pay the Friends of the Evenlode Valley's costs. The application was, however, re-approved by WODC, subject to a legal agreement, in January 2020. The final stages of approving the development are now close to completion with the approval of conditions set to come before WODC. Those conditions include specification details, a construction traffic management plan, surface water drainage scheme and construction management plan. The design, demolition and construction of trees is another condition set to be discharged. Campaigners say the development is so close to the edge of ancient woodland that there will be aggressive management of the border of the woodland and that construction and ultimate occupation will have a severe impact on woodland wildlife. An environmental management plan prepared by the developer to identify specific environmental issues associated with Rushy Bank says the site is considered to have moderate ecological value. The report, dated September the 29th, adds that potential impacts on habitats and species have been considered 
and a strategy of mitigations and enhancements proposed. Friends of the West Oxfordshire Cotswolds wrote to WODC in May to raise concerns about the development. However, in a response, WODC said its position was unchanged and that the local authority had resolved to support the development. And now we have a story about the Soho Farmhouse and their project to expand the exclusive country club with spa pods. Soho Farmhouse has been granted permission to build 20 single-bedroom farmhouse huts on the site of a former camping field and five-a-side football pitch. The exclusive country club within the Great Tew Estate comprises numerous buildings, cabins, farm buildings, gymnasium, restaurants and walled garden cottages. It has become the place for stars to organise their parties. Meghan Markle had her bridal shower there, and David and Victoria Beckham, who live 200 yards away, are regulars. Planning officer Stuart McIver reported that the proposed development was sufficiently far away from the neighbours not to impact on them, and no objections were made by neighbours or the parish council. With regard to highway safety, he reported that Farm Camp, a camping field with bell tents, has been at full capacity and in operation since 2016. He said, It's considered that there will be no material increase in either guest or staff, peak or daily traffic generation, as a result of permitting a permanent year-round use of this nature, and thus no additional impact on Tracy Lane or the surrounding road network. The club is applying to enlarge an existing natural mill pond and install infrared sauna pods and four new hot tubs. A planning statement says the existing wellness facilities are centred around the mill ponds, with the pools and gym on the lower mill pond and the spa facilities on the upper mill pond. It states, This development proposes enhancements to the existing wellness facility to align with other Soho Health Club facilities at hotels around the world, and therefore guest and member expectations. The statement says that Soho Farmhouse has near 100% occupancy for overnight stays and a healthy waiting list for membership for its leisure facilities. Meanwhile, the investment by Soho House and company of over £100 million to date has directly created over 400 jobs within West Oxfordshire and many hundreds more through the local supply chain for goods and services. Proposed improvements to the wellness facility will create an additional 16 full-time jobs. The statement adds, It is not anticipated that the development proposals will result in any increase in guest traffic using Tracy Lane, given that it is to cater for the existing membership. It will, however, result in a small increase in staff traffic, with potentially an additional 16 vehicle movements to the site each way per day. In 2016, the Daily Mail reported that neighbours of the Soho farmhouse had complained about having their rural idyll ruined by what they described as arrogant Londoners. And now an item from the Chipping Norton News. The headline, Oxfam penguins invade France. 
Southwest France is about to see a penguin invasion. No, not the fish-eating feathered kind, but the dearly loved orange or blue or green and white readable variety. Chipping Norton's Oxfam Bookshop has just supplied an order for 3,000 penguin books for a decorating project by Teasel Interiors. Owner Holly Hinchcliffe saw a photograph of the shop's penguin shelves on Instagram and thought they would look magnificent in a soon-to-be-open boutique B&B in the Pyrenees. The winter lockdown was the perfect time to get to grips with the order, with the first 1,000 delivered just before Christmas. Over 10 months, the shop has steadily accumulated a further 2,000, with the last delivered in October. The team is looking forward to seeing photographs of the books in situ. The various lockdowns have also provided the ideal opportunity to list many more of the store's books, especially rare ones, on the Oxfam online shop. Several antiquarian books have sold well, including a 17th century book of Puritan sermons and a beautiful early 19th century handwritten collection of recipes. There is a wide selection of books, some very old, some almost new, covering every subject under the sun, in the Market Street shop. Four items of news in brief. Firstly, teenager killed in early hours road crash. A 19-year-old man has died at the scene of a crash in the early hours of Sunday. At about 1.15am, a white VW Polo travelling along the A4095 collided with a tree near the junction with Common Road in North Lee. The driver, a 19-year-old man, died at the scene. His next of kin has been informed. Investigating Officer PC Sean Kipling of the Joint Operations Roads Policing Unit said, Our thoughts remain with the man's family at this difficult time. We are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed what happened to please come forward. And secondly, an affray in Minster Lovell. A defendant has admitted a fray, but denied attempted robbery. Troy Binns, aged 20, had been due to stand trial next year on the allegation he attempted to rob a man in Minster Lovell on April 22, 2020. But appearing before Oxford Crown Court on Thursday, Binns of Burwell Meadow Whitney pleaded guilty to an alternative charge of a fray. Noting the defendant was of previous good character, Judge Ian Pringle QC bailed Binns to be sentenced on November the 25th. Ordering a pre-sentence report, the judge told the defendant, it's very much in your interest to cooperate with the author of that report. Now we have four boys arrested for leisure centre incidents. Four boys have been arrested after a string of incidents in Whitney. Police were called to the Windrush Leisure Centre at 4.15pm last Tuesday after reports of a group setting off alarms and throwing items inside the building. Two 15-year-old boys and a 14-year-old boy, all from Whitney, were arrested on suspicion of using threatening, abusive, insulting words or behaviour with intent to cause fear or provoke unlawful violence. They have all been released on bail while the investigation continues. Another 14-year-old boy from Carterton was arrested and remains in police custody. 
There were incidents of a similar nature at the pound stretcher in Station Lane and McDonald's and Premier Inn in Ducklington Lane last Tuesday, believed to be linked. And finally, Razor Halloween Treats. Police have reported a very worrying number of children have found razor blades hidden in their trick-or-treat sweets. Officers shared a warning on Facebook asking parents in the Finstock area to check their children's goodie bags. The razor blades appeared to be ta- attached to a chocolate bar that had a £5 note type wrapper on it. The posts read, Parents in the Finstock area, please check your child's trick-or-treat bag. Very worrying a number of children have been passed razor blades in their trick-or-treat bags. Thames Valley Police have asked for more information and pictures of the sweets. A little p-p-p-pick-me-up as penguins visit care home. Animal magic cast its spell over a retirement village when residents were asked to p-p-p-pick up two penguins. Head of activities at Richmond Village's Whitney, Joanna Cambry, hit on a flipping good way to make people smile during a brainstorming session, and staff at a nearby zoo were happy to help. Keepers from Haythrop Zoological Gardens in Chipping Norton brought Humboldt penguins, Charlie, aged 25 evidently, and younger pal Groot, to visit as part of the Retirement Village's animal therapy programme. And it went down a treat with residents. Ivy Waller, 97, said, I never thought I'd meet a penguin, especially at my age. And there's a a nice photo of Ivy Waller uh, sitting, holding the penguin on her lap with the help of um, one of the nurses, one of the helpers from there, and looking so thrilled. And now a story from Blenheim. Blenheim Palace gives lunchboxes. Blenheim Palace in Woodstock has donated 600 thermal lunchboxes from its gift shop to the Oxford Food Hub. The lunchboxes, which were surplus stock, were handed over to the charity by Blenheim's retail and warehouse teams. They will be used to deliver individual meals to various community organisations, groups and schools across the county. Blenheim's head of retail, Judy Bendall, said... We're delighted the Oxford Food Hub has been able to make good use of the lunchboxes and they will now be able to play a small part in helping to provide vital meals. As an estate, we're committed to minimising waste in the fight against climate change. The Oxford Food Hub supplies more than 150 Oxfordshire-based charities. These include the Kitchen Collective, which has delivered over 20,000 meals in the past year. Heading is Tribute Bench for Legend of Taxi Rank. A grieving daughter is raising money for a bench near the town's taxi rank in memory of her father, quote, the best taxi driver in Whitney. Donald Johns lost a four-year battle with cancer on October the 12th. Daughter Verity Luckett has received more than 200 messages praising what he did for the community. Donald started work at Angie's Taxis in 1985, although he worked for different firms over the years. Verity said, 
One thing they all had in common is that everyone loved Donald. She added, Four years and ten months ago, Donald was given the devastating news that he was suffering with advanced cancer. The doctors gave him 12 to 18 months, but Donald took no notice of that. He vowed he was going to fight this dreadful disease all the way, and he did. In fact, Donald was incredible and a real inspiration to everyone around him. After spending five days in the Catherine House Hospice, where the staff couldn't do enough for Donald, he died very peacefully and with dignity, knowing he was loved by you all. For 38 years he was a Whitney taxi driver, Donald was known for enjoying a cup of coffee and tapping his pipe out on the pavement at the taxi rank. People would look on the taxi rank for Don's taxi and would not travel in anyone else's as they respected and trusted Donald so much, said Verity, who lives in Ducklington. People have said they would waver the taxis on while waiting for Donald to pull up. Donald was so much more than a taxi driver. Not only was he so knowledgeable when it came to the roads in our county, he was always trustworthy. He took the time to help everyone he could. You would find him cutting someone's grass, or not only driving someone home from shopping, but actually taking the shopping in and putting it away. Comments from Letters Verity received include... If it rained and snowed, he was the top of the taxi number to call and always turned up with a smile, a true gent. Sleep well and thanks, Donald. A letter from another said, He took me on a 20-mile chase in a follow-that-taxi scenario from Oxford to Freeland so I could try and rekindle a relationship with my girlfriend at the time. He wouldn't let me pay as he could see I was gutted. Thanks, Don, for being a legend in more ways than one. P.S. I got over her. Another wrote, I loved that every now and then you would bring Carol with you to pick me up because you both loved my dogs so much. I would even bring one in the taxi with me. I have so many happy memories of you. You would offer to look after both my sons just so that I could nip in the shop without having to get the pushchair out of the taxi. The boys loved that you made them laugh so much. You would even play hide-and-seek with them. I remember their little faces laughing so much. On the way home, we would stop at the local shop because I would say that I had forgotten something, but really, I wanted to buy you a paper and a packet of biscuits just to say thank you for being you. West Oxfordshire District Council confirmed plans for a bench were being finalised and it should be installed in six to eight weeks. Any appeal money left over would go to Catherine House Hospice, said Verity. Fledgling bakery failed by costs and staff shortages. A bakery shop launched during the pandemic, which had to struggle through unprecedented times, has closed down. Poby in Corn Street, Whitney, co-owned by James Talbot and Jake Jones, both aged 25, opened in October 2020. But last week they posted on their website, Today is a sad day for us. It's the day we have to say goodbye to Poby. Over the past year we've battled with logistic issues, Covid spikes, rising raw material costs, staff shortages to name a few. But these have really come to a head over the last couple of months. It has put us and the business into a position whereby it is no longer financially viable to keep going. 
We are extremely sorry to all our loyal wholesale and retail customers who will no longer be able who we will no longer be able to serve. The shop delivery van and wholesale productions will cease. They thank the customers and our amazing team who are immensely skilled and are now our close friends. In January, the bakery shared a £10,000 prize uh, with Printpool, a fellow 2020 business from the Frilford-based Modus Accountants and its Modus Ignite support programme. James and Jake started home baking after Jake was made redundant from his job in hospitality and started by delivering bread and other baked goods to nearby towns. James, raised in Ensham, took two weeks' leave from his job as an account manager for a flavours and fragrance company and got stuck in with getting the shop ready to open. One poster said on Whitney's spotted Facebook page, With the news of yet another small business closing, is there anything as a community we can do to help it and get it back on track? Poby was an amazing place to have in Whitney and I for one used it a lot throughout lockdown and continued up until the present day. It's such a shame that these lovely places are having to give up what they love doing. Gregory Patricia Peters posted, Terribly sad. Popped by there today to buy a loaf of fresh, tasty bread and was disappointed to see the clothes sign. I hope they will continue to bake and that I can find their bread at other outlets. We will be back with more stories soon, but now it's time for the editor's choice of articles. Remembrance Sunday is on the 14th of November this year, only a week or so from now, and so I was minded to bring you an item on the TNF sounding service about this special day, which includes a short poem by Jane Holmes, who listeners may recall was once an editor for Whitney Talking News. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Heather with a piece written by Jane about Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day, or Poppy Day as it is also known, commemorates the armistice signed at the end of the First World War. Hostilities were said to end at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 which is why the 11th of November is when we remember those who lost their lives in war. Remember Sunday is always the Sunday nearest to the 11th of November, which this year will be the 14th of November. At 11am on Remembrance Sunday, members of the armed forces parade to the Cenotaph in London and wreaths of poppies are laid at the base of the Cenotaph to remember those who died, while all those watching stand in respectful silence. In the lead-up to Remembrance Day, many people wear paper poppies as a way of showing appreciation for the work of the armed forces. The biggest Poppy Day campaign is run by the Royal British Legion, raising funds for their work with veterans and their families. Jane has written a poem for Remembrance Day, which brings back memories of her granddad, who was in the First World War. He was a member of the Worcestershire Regiment, which fought in Belgium. He returned home injured when a bullet hit him in his shoulder. The following year, he married Jane's grandma. To his family, he was and still is a hero and always will be.
Here's Jane's poem for Grandad. Each 11th of November is Remembrance Day. Our fast-moving, somewhat selfish world will stop. The world will pause and think. People in respectful silence stand and pray for all who went to war. Poppies will be scattered on the earth. Each stands for a life that is no more. For those we pray and for others too who did return. To all of them we say thank you in our own way. Remember that they fought for you to save your life. Think of those you did not know and those you did. They are our chosen few. Remember to stop and pray on each Remembrance Day. TNF Soundings Thanks to TNF Soundings and Jane for that item. Personally, I shall be wearing a metal poppy pin this year. It's a Somme 1916 poppy pin, which is made from the brass of a shell fuse recovered from the Somme battlefield in France. I must say I didn't recover the shell fuse myself. It is a Royal British Legion centenary edition pin and is dedicated to the men who gave their lives during the Battle of the Somme, which raged from the 1st of July to the 16th of November 1916. Next is our weekly quiz. First, the questions which were set last week and the answers. Uh, There may be some audience participation in this, I think. So the first question was, which sign of the zodiac is represented by a crab? Anybody know? Cancer. Indeed. It's my mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we are. We have two people with the sign of cancer. Um, They're having a discussion about their birthdays now. The second question was, which country's secret service is called the Mossad? Anybody know? Israel. Israel is correct. Uh, Third question, what was Buffalo Bill's real name? Cody. Do you know his first name? Oh, I don't know. Wasn't it just Bill? William. So... I'll give you that. Bill Cody. William Cody. Uh, Fourth question was, which animal is the symbol of the Republican Party in the USA? Do we know? It's a donkey, isn't it? No, the (laughs) the Democrats have a donkey as their symbol. Elephant. And, correct, from Byron, the elephant is the symbol of the Republican Party. Um, I, I do know how those came about, but that might have to wait for another week. Um, on whose poems, this is the fifth question, on whose poems was the musical Cats based? T.S. Eliot. Alison says T.S. Eliot, and she's correct. <laughs> so now this week's questions, which all concern Bonfire Night, which, as usual, takes place on Friday the 5th of November, which for us recording this is tomorrow. Please don't shout out if you know the answers <laughs> to these. So question one is, what was Guy Fawkes' real first name? Question two, which king did Guy Fawkes and others attempt to kill with their gunpowder plot? Question three, what year did the gunpowder plot take place? Question four, 
What is the technical term for the making and displaying of fireworks? And my final question, how was Guy Fawkes sentenced to be executed and what happened? Answers next week. Now to our notice board. Firstly, I want to remind you that it is the annual general meeting of Whitney Talking News on Monday, November the 8th, in the Radford Room of the Whitney High Street Methodist Church. There will be reports on this year's activity and discussion of issues going forward. There will also be the election of committee members. We would be very pleased if you were able to attend. The meeting starts at 7pm. Sadly, two deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Brenda Irene Davis has died at the age of 75 on the 6th of October, and Jean Mary Lewis, née Del Nevo, died on the 24th of October, aged 91. Our condolences to family and friends. There are no listeners' birthdays for us to mark this week. Now, I've got a little notice, uh, a little bit of housekeeping to read to you here, and it's if on any week you've not received your stick for whatever reason or there is a problem with producing the sticks, that would be our problem, you can always listen to the service on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. Now, there was no local sport reported in the Gazette this week. The sports page was filled up with news of Oxford United's latest victory. So now for another selection of news articles, firstly from Alison. Five hours on floor in ambulance wait. A pensioner was left lying on the floor for more than five hours waiting for an ambulance. Leon Moody, 72, said he has lost faith in the health service after his scary experience. He fell over at his home in Kingham near Chipping Norton at around 9am on October the 5th. Thankfully, he said, his carer was round at the time and was able to call for an ambulance and let his son Mark know about the fall. Mark, 35, from Chipping Norton, raced over to help and wait for the ambulance to arrive. He told the Oxford Mail, An hour went by and we hadn't heard anything and nobody had arrived. Obviously my dad was in a lot of pain and was distressed because of having to lie on the floor like that. So I rang 999 and it was just ringing and ringing. It was going on like this for about three minutes. I got through to someone and explained to them that my dad had had a fall. The call handler was getting the details up and he said, You are in the southeast, aren't you? He confirmed the pair's location before saying, You do realise you're through to the Yorkshire department, don't you? He said that the call handler told him the local service was so busy, Yorkshire was the nearest call sensor to answer. Mark said, I was gobsmacked. I couldn't believe they'd put me through to them. I couldn't believe it. Another hour went by with no sign of the ambulance and Mark was too scared to move his elderly dad in case he was seriously injured and more damage would be done. A while later he called back on the non-emergency line 
and was put through to a call operator who was really apologetic. Five hours after the original 999 call was made, an ambulance finally arrived. Mark said the paramedics were brilliant, but added, I was just sat there thinking, what if my dad was having a heart attack or something really serious? Those minutes they took to answer would have made all the difference between life and death. I've never seen anything like it. Leon is said to be doing okay after his experience, but he wants people to take notice of what's going on and for his voice to be heard. South Central Ambulance Service were approached but failed to provide a comment. Family devastated over fatal crash case ending. The family of a motorcyclist killed in a West Oxfordshire crash was said to be utterly devastated after prosecutors dropped the charges against the woman accused of causing the collision. Gail Savage, 55, was alleged to have caused the death of motorcyclist Michael Mallins, 50, by driving her Mercedes carelessly on the B4437 near Shipton under Witchwood on August the 3rd last year. She denied the charge and her lawyers were preparing arguments that the allegation should be dismissed. However, at a hearing at Oxford Crown Court on Friday, Prosecutor Jonathan Sank said the Crown would be offering no evidence in light of a new expert report about the crash. Mr Sank told the hearing, which several members of the victim's family were watching via video link, Mr Mallins, of course, lost his life in the collision, which gave rise to this offence. His family wished me to express their utter devastation at this change and their dismay at how an expert can reach his initial findings when the evidential position is as it is now. Judge Ian Pringle QC responded, I fully understand the family's views in relation to this matter, but it is at least, I suppose, something that an expert can change his mind before a trial rather than change his mind when he gets to the witness box. These sorts of cases produce feelings of such high emotion it's very difficult to approach them rationally for those who have lost someone so dear to them. Earlier, the court was given further detail about the reasons for the prosecution being dropped. Mr Sank explained that Savage's lawyers had applied earlier this month to dismiss the charges against their client. On October the 11th, the Crown Prosecution Service sent a letter to the defendant's lawyers confirming that they would not oppose the application to dismiss the charge of causing death by careless driving. This is due to the significant change in the evidence following the instruction of an expert witness, Robert Seston. He and the first expert, Luke Webb, prepared a joint report. Mr Webb's conclusions are now very different to his initial ones, the prosecutor said. There is consequently no longer a realistic prospect of conviction, and we are therefore required to bring proceedings to a halt. I invite your honour to quash the count on the indictment such that the criminal proceedings will be brought to an end. No detail was given to the court about the disputed issues in the case or what the experts' reports were about. Savage of Mainstream, Main Street over Norton was not present in person at the court hearing. And next, an item of news from Chipping Norton. <clears throat> and the heading is... 
Oliveris, 60 Years in Chippy. There's a big thank you this month to all their customers from Dominic and son Sam, the fourth and fifth generation of barbers from the Oliveri family. <clears throat> in November, the Oliveri team in their barber shop nestled down Chipping Norton Spring Street will be marking 60 years since Dom's father, Salvatore, opened the salon in its current spot. <clears throat> this makes it the oldest business in Chippy, still running from the same premises. A tribute to the family's dedication to their work and to their many loyal customers who come regularly from the town, local villages and further afield. In fact, it's an even longer tradition. In the early 20th century, Salvatore, with his father, was cutting hair in Sicily before arriving in Oxfordshire in 1955, where he worked first on a farm and then with a local chippy high street barber. He bought the marketplace house, moved his family in, set up his own salon downstairs and never looked back, with Dominic and his son Sam now continuing a busy and successful business. What's the secret? There's plenty of tradition, quality and still a drop-in anytime service. But there's also a keen eye for the ever-changing look for well-groomed men. Congratulations on their 60 years from the news team. And there's a photo of a very proud father and son outside the barber's shop and underneath photographs of the five generations of Oliveri barbers. Um, starting off with a very white-haired gentleman with a moustache, then a clean-shaven, dark-haired one, then a bald one, and another bald one, and now a dark-haired, very handsome one with a moustache and a beard. Star sitcom writers backstaging of Nazi watch tale. A play by one of Britain's foremost script-writing teams is being performed for the first time by an amateur theatre group. Von Ribbentrop's Watch is to be staged by the Bartholomew Players from Ensham, written by Lawrence Marks and Maurice Grun. The pair devised hit sitcoms Bird of a Feather, The New Statesman and Goodnight Sweetheart. Lawrence has met the cast and crew and will be attending one of the performances. The play is about a moral dilemma Lawrence faced while a house writer at Paramount Studios in Hollywood in 1985 when US comedy writers were driving him nuts. He sought solace in shopping and was initially thrilled to discover that a $200 vintage Longines watch he bought was worth £50,000. But Lawrence is Jewish and a secret swastika inside proved it once belonged to Hitler's right-hand man. A watch repairer pointed out the swastika and date. Lawrence said in an interview, I won't say I wasn't shocked, being Jewish all the more so. I couldn't tell anyone I was wearing a Nazi watch. I would never be forgiven. I asked the watch repairer who was JVR and what was the swastika all about. He wasn't prepared to hazard a guess, but suggest, suggested that if I was really interested, I should take the watch to one of the famous London auction houses. They had experts there. Lawrence began reading up on von Ribbentrop and discovered he was the first Nazi war criminal hanged after the Nuremberg war trials in place of Hermann Goering, 
who took poison in his cell, and Rudolf Hess, who convinced the judges he was mad and was imprisoned. Von Ribbentrop was found guilty of crimes against peace, war crimes and crimes against humanity. Lawrence said there was no question that the story contained all the dramatic elements of a fine play. Its central conundrum should be, what does a Jew do when he suddenly discovers that he is wearing a Nazi watch, particularly if he, if he is desperate for money? After endless discussions, Morris and I were convinced about what a good play this would make. So for three or more years we discussed the characters that would people our drama. I say drama, but it quickly became apparent to us both that what we had here was a black comedy. Bartholomew Players director Gareth Hammond said, I saw this play performed at Oxford Playhouse several years ago and have wanted to put it on ourselves ever since. When I approached the authors about this, I was thrilled to get their agreement. They have even said that they will come to one of our performances. It is a very funny play, which everyone will enjoy. I can't recommend it highly enough, and look forward to welcoming our audiences back after the enforced break. The play will take place at the st on the stage at Ensham Village Hall from November the 24th to the 27th. And there's a picture of the cast, and in it is one of Talking News' editors, who I understand is the star of the play, Debbie Darkin. Well, that completes this edition. We hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks go mainly to the Whitney Gazette and to the Chipping Norton News for the articles we have used. And special thanks go to our recording engineer, Gavin Smalley. Thanks also to our four readers this week, Alison Granger, Dorothy Allen, Byron Russell and John Ashwell. Our admin team this week is Nigel James and Jan Butler and our copiers and packers are Gavin and Byron who are backing up for another shift. So before we go, keep listening at the end of our programme for an info sound item which gives some highlights of this week's best radio listening. Meanwhile, I know everyone here at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well and so, until our next edition, we will all say goodbye. Bye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. And now it's time for the radio highlights over the next seven days, starting with Saturday, November 6th. And the programme, to tell you about first, is a timely offering for the time of year, being bonfire weekend, from the comedy trio The Penny Dreadfuls, who present Guy Fawkes at 2 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. 3 o'clock on Radio 4 is a drama, a contemporary legal thriller, Bard. And following Guy Fawkes Night on Friday, and of course the firework weekend as mentioned, Classic FM has a programme of soothing music designed to calm any animal nerves. And anyone else, to be fair. Pet Classics with Charlotte Hawkins is at 6 o'clock. Opera on 3 at 6.30 is Edemia by Catalana. It's based on the novel by Alexandre Dumas. 
An archive on 4 at 8 o'clock on Radio 4 is an examination of false historical memes that are being shared on social media. Johnson Jenkins asks, if we're also internet savvy, why are we so internet credulous? A trio of programmes on Sunday, November 7th, which resonate with the ongoing COP26. The drama at 3 on Radio 4, In the Shadow of Man, dramatisation of Jane Goodall's account of her work with chimpanzees in Tanzania and includes a new interview with her. The Sunday feature on Radio 3 at 6.45 is a tree story, an intriguing story of how a famous violin was traced back to the spot in a Bavarian forest where its wood first grew. And it's followed at 7.30 by a new environmental influence production of Shakespeare's The Tempest with Ian McDermott as Prospero. Nine o'clock on Classic FM, rounding off the weekend, Moira Stewart interviewing the musical siblings Sheku and Asata Kane Mason and asking them about a significant piece of music. On to programmes then that are serialised Monday to Friday, the same radio station each day at the same time. Book of the Week, Radio 4 at 9.45am is All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days by Rebecca Donner. It is an account of the author's great-great-aunt who was at the heart of the underground German resistance to the Nazis. From 10 to 1 on Radio 5 Live, Adrian Childs brings you chat, guests and music. Composer of the Week at noon on Radio 3 is Cherubini. And the novel being read at just after midday, every day, Monday to Friday, on Radio 4, The Last Resort by Jan Carson. It's set in a caravan park beset by a series of impossible thefts. 145 on Radio 4, the history of the world in a hundred objects continues. This week, the global economy of the 19th century is explored. Three o'clock on Radio 4 Extra, the Strangers Brothers series of novels by C.P. Snow is dramatised. And all week, the Classic FM concert with John Suchet is at 8pm. This week, the concerts are recordings by the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. And there is a book at bedtime at 10.45 on Radio 4. Careless by Kirsty Capes. A pregnant 15-year-old has to navigate her way through the care system. Some of the programmes then for the rest of the week, starting with Monday, November 8th. And the final of Brain of Britain is at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. 3.30 on the same channel. The Food Programme, which looks at how meat and dairy can play a positive part in the future of people and the planet. Laura Barton's Notes on Music is at 4pm, still on Radio 4, when she looks at music's ideas of the West. And at 4.30, don't change that dial, the digital human looks at the history of emotional studies. Sticking with Radio 4, 6.30, the Museum of Curiosity, no doubt produce some more fascinating objects for its virtual exhibition. And time to retune for a bit of humour. Radio 4 Extra at 7 o'clock. Lines from My Grandfather's Forehead and at 7.30, Albert and Me. And discussion of the upcoming T20 cricket between Phil Tufnell and Michael Vaughan is at 9 o'clock on Radio 5 Live. And The Blues Show with Keris Matthews, 9pm on Radio 2. Early start for Tuesday, November 9th. Things fell apart at 9am on Radio 4. John Ronson delves into conspiracies and the stranger edges of human behaviour. 
Political Time Zones explores how time underpins the idea of modern democracy. David Arunciman guides us through the subject at 11am on Radio 4. Radio 3's afternoon concert at 2 is a performance of Monteverdi's Orfeo. Or the drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is The Call of the Rewind, in which a rich businessman plans to introduce wolves to his Highland estate. Naturally, this week's edition of Costing the Earth at 3.30 on Radio 4 will consider whether COP26 will mark the moment when our political leaders take climate change seriously. Classic humour on Radio 4 Extra at 7 with Round the Horn, and then Winston in Europe at 7.30. Stay with Radio 4 Extra for a Charles Paris mystery at 8.30, and Alistair Cook's Sentry at 9, an interview with the renowned transatlantic broadcaster. In touch as ever, just before that on Radio 4 at 8.40, and round off the day with The Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. Or if you want to stay up for some bedtime listening at 11 on Radio 4, Jane Garvey and Fee Glover chat to Palm Sandu, former Met Police Chief Superintendent. Wednesday, November 10th, and it's Jane Garvey again, this time at 9am. She talks to a person with an extraordinary story in life-changing. John Finneman's Double Axe is at 11.30am on Radio 4. Mercy Dash is the second of his comedy two-handers. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is another in the series about DCI Stone, this one, Disclosure. Sideways at 4 on Radio 4 has Matthew Syed looking at the case of a young man who has problems with speaking in public, with consequences for his career and relationships, and uncovers the science of how we speak. Extra comedy on Radio 4 Extra, with two contrasting types, Hancock's Half Hour at 7 and No Commitments at 7.30. And The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe at 9 on Radio 2. Thursday, November 11th is Armistice Day, of course. The two-minute silence will be held on most radio stations across the country, but particularly on Radio 4 if you'd like to tune in at 11am. Dostoevsky and the Russian Soul looks at how the great novelist's talent for writing complex characters springs from a single traumatic moment as a young man. That's at 11.30 on Radio 4. Five Live Sports Extra at 1.45 is the place for the latest of the T20s. This Thing of Darkness is the drama at 2.15 on Radio 4. Second series follows a forensic psychiatrist and physiotherapist as she assesses and treats violent crime. Britain's Forgotten Rainforest is the subject of this week's Open Country at 3 on Radio 4. Norman Lewis, the travel writer, is the subject of Great Lives at 6.30 on Radio 4 Extra. And The Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9 on Radio 2. And we round off the week on Friday, November 12th, with another programme on the environmental theme. Green IC, going, going green, has journalist and satirist Hayden Prouse unpacking how the multi-billion dollar PR and advertising machine is helping the food and drinks industry. One o'clock on Radio 5 Live, try something slightly different maybe. Ellis Jones and John Robin have a playful take on a myriad of subjects. If you'd prefer, the thriller Harland, episode 3, 215 on Radio 4. The Now Show at 6.30 on Radio 4 presents a satirical look at the week's news. And Tony Blackburn's Golden Hour is at 7 o'clock on Radio 2. 
Another cluster of entertaining programmes on Radio 4 Extra. At 7, Dad's Army. 7.30, Second Thoughts. A thriller, Galbraith and the Midas Touch, is at 8. And another Charles Paris mystery at 8.30. An add to playlist is proving an intriguing and interesting musical journey each week as five interlinked tracks are selected and discussed at 7.15 in the evening on Radio 4. That's it for the highlights. May I wish you a safe and peaceful and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings. (laughs) 